Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Well, almost Brian killed me. I'm Jason Chaffetz, uh, filling in for Brian today. And uh, I got to tell you, I'm fired up. I'm excited. I'm excited to have 2021 behind us. I'm excited about what 2022 is going to bring us. Uh, we had a wonderful Christmas here in the Chaffetz household. And there's a lot happening to talk about things that are pivotal to our country and will be pivotal to the 2022 election. And so I'm just thrilled to share some time with you. Thanks for joining us. We've got a great lineup of people uh, coming up. One, two punch. We've got uh, former congressman, person I served with in the United States Congress, Sean Duffy, as well as. And then after that, we'll have Dr. Nicole Sapphire. So we're going to talk a lot about uh, some of these public policies that are going on. What's right for America? What's not right for America um, in these tumultuous times? But let's get right after it by bringing in Sean Duffy. Sean, thanks for joining us today on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, Jason Chaffetz, Merry Christmas, good morning, and uh, it's so nice to talk to you a couple of days after Christmas. Well, I know you were so anxious to do this. I mean, you called me a couple hours ago like, hey, are we ready yet? Are we ready yet? And I said, no, no, you got to wait, Sean. It's, it's like well, you I, on Christmas morning. You can't wait to get on this program. I know it. I, I woke up and I was quivering. I was so excited that I get to talk to you this morning, Jason, Monday morning. You're right. We're almost done with 2021. We're going to have a fresh 2022 hopefully better than 21 and 20. You know, it's just like Christmas two days later. It, it just, it's the gift that keeps on giving. And I got to tell you that congratulations on your book, the uh, all American Christmas that you and, and Rachel put together because my goodness, top of the New York times list, you guys are selling a ton of those books. You know, it's been great. I think, you know, for, for, uh, for the last couple of Christmases, you know, people have felt a little bit dejected by government. They've tried to shut us down, keep us home, keep us away from our families. And like, like uh, the Chaffetz, the Duffies love Christmas. And, you know, we wanted to lean into the tradition and the family and the heritage of um, this wonderful holiday, lean into the faith of Christmas. And I think, you know, even if you look at some of the stories that have come out over the last um the last year you have you know black lives matter saying that christmas is racist and you know we, we need to look at a different form of capitalism and you know it's like no christmas christ came for everybody to save everybody no matter your race your gender your religion your sexual preference he came for everybody and there's nothing racist about the birth of jesus christ and so we wanted to celebrate it and it was great we had you know some of the fox family members participate in the book and I learned a lot about people that I didn't know um, about how they were raised and how they celebrated Christmas what they do now and so yeah thanks for mentioning that it was a, it was a it was a great project and it was a great way to celebrate you know Christmas and not let the government get us down um, as we you know want to cheer in the birth of Christ on on uh, December 25th well it's certainly a, a huge huge success so again it's called the all-american Christmas by the 
Rachel and Sean Duffy. And, um, you know, Sean, when you and I served together in the Congress, uh, there are a lot of issues that came before us, um, things you don't expect and whatnot. But I want to play you this clip from Dr. Fauci. This is today. I think it was today on uh, on CNN um, talking about, you know, I mean, he was sort of bah humbug about getting together with your relatives at Thanksgiving. He didn't want you to get together with relatives at Christmas. So this may come as no surprise, but let's listen to Dr. Fauci and his take on what we should do this New Year's Eve. I would stay away from that. I mean, I, I have been telling people consistently that if you're vaccinated and boosted and you have a family setting in the home with family and relatives. But when you're talking about a New Year's Eve party, we have 30, 40, 50 people celebrating. You do not know the status of their vaccination. I would recommend strongly stay away from that this year. There will be other years to do that, but not this year. What's your take on that, John? So you want to make my blood boil this early in the morning, Jason? Come on. <laughs> I told you I want to get you fired um, up. Listen, I'm going to tell you what. I'm I'm livid to hear him say that. And here's why. I'm not opposed to those who don't want to get the vaccine. I'm not opposed to those who have been vaccinated and boosted. That doesn't bother me at all. I believe in freedom, but I also believe in what the hell is the science out there? And so I and you probably are the same. I know Gosh, I can't count them all on my fingers and toes. The number of people that I know that are vaccinated and boosted that have all got COVID, like in the last two weeks. And so the Dr. Fauci puts it out there like you're more at risk to society if you're unvaccinated than those who are actually vaccinated. Well, the vaccinated are getting COVID and they're spreading COVID. You look at all the, uh, the, the airline flights that have shut down over Christmas. Why were they shut down? Why did they stop flying? They stopped flying because many of their staff came down with COVID. And to work in the airline industry right now, many of the airlines, including Delta and United, you have to be vaccinated. So all the vaccinated that work for the airlines got COVID. And so they couldn't fly these flights, these routes. And so people were stuck over Christmas at airports trying to go see their family. So it's a complete and utter lie that the, the, the vaccine and being boosted stops you from getting COVID. It doesn't. Now, if, you, if you're of higher risk, no doubt it very well could save your life. And so I think people have to make an assessment. Do I have comorbidities? Do I, am I of an age where this is a higher risk? Am I overweight where I'm a higher risk? But if not, um, my concern is that, 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 that he's not telling the truth about 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 the vaccines and how the how the virus spreads it's like there's this idea that they need us to all be vaccinated forget the fact that if you've had covid you have immunities like any other virus why is yeah. covid different than any other virus where if you have an immunity or if you get if you get the, the, the virus you have immunities i mean if people got the polio vaccine but then they kept getting polio did go well that's not a very good vaccine. And then the health official said, well, yeah, you, you're getting, you're getting uh, polio, but you need to get boosted. And then you, then you won't get polio, but you still get polio. It's like, well, this is a crap vaccine. It doesn't work. Why do they well, keep lying to us? That's what I can't figure out, Jason. And we serve in the Congress. I don't get it unless it's – is this control? Is this submission to some kind of Chinese – um, uh, credit score system where you get full rights to society if you do what the government says. Is that what this is about? I don't know, but it's frustrating. 
It is frustrating. And I, I, I you know, our former colleague, uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, actually, I saw a tweet that he put out that I really did like, which was, if the Biden plan is working, how come it's not working? <laughs> Right. Which I thought, which I thought was a very clever way, a very short seek. It's a very simple question for people to answer. And I, we look, we have Dr. Nicole Sapphire coming up uh, later this hour, and, and this is one of the core questions I have for her. And I know she gets frustrated about this as well. But to your point, what about the person who just got COVID? Would you go out and then get a booster shot? Why would you go get a booster shot if you had COVID maybe six weeks ago? four weeks ago, why would you have to go out and get, and then what are you supposed to, how come the government doesn't like, are you supposed to put that on a piece of paper? So when you try to go in and get some French fries at a restaurant so that you could, you know, eat with your kids. I I just totally don't get it. And and Dr. Fauci is driving me nuts in that he is on television in doing these interviews. Like when does he have time to actually read something from science? Last question about Fauci I want to I want to ask you about because it's a political one. He seems to be out there almost as a heat shield for Biden, but I got to tell you, he was probably the worst thing that Donald Trump did. And I think that as you go into the midterms or maybe even to the general election, the worst thing that Biden did would to be to continue to rely on Fauci as the mouthpiece because I think America wants a second opinion. I think America well, wants to see somebody else and they, they, they don't trust the guy. Well, I, to, to that point, I, I, you and I both have been big fans of the policies of Donald Trump. I think again, he, he leaned into, into right. free enterprise and yeah. trying to put America first and policies that helped American workers and American manufacturing. Those were all great policies. One of the drawbacks of President Trump is uh, I do think he had some bad staff around him. Dr. Fauci was one of those bad staff members. And I think that if, if, if Joe, I mean, again, this is my advice to, to, to Democrats and to Joe Biden. If you, if you want your poll numbers to come up a little bit, if you want to actually have trust with the American people, which is what all politicians and especially presidents need, you and I both know that, level with them, be honest with them and say, listen, these vaccines, they're not really vaccines, but they can help save your life if you have comorbidities, but they're not going to prevent you from getting COVID. If you have kids in your life, you know what? Kids, unless they have a comorbidity, aren't dying from COVID. They really aren't. That's what Dr. Marty McCary has said. He looked at the data and said, unless a child had a comorbidity, they weren't dying. And so if you have healthy kids, you don't need to get them vaccinated. Be honest with people and let them make choices for themselves and their families. We're good at assessing risk. We do it every day, whether we get in a car, whether we put our seatbelts on, whether we you know, wear a helmet when we ride a motorcycle, we make all kinds of decisions about risk in our lives and with our families. And we make good decisions because we love ourselves and our families. We yeah. do what's right. Give us the information and trust people like they're Americans and free people to make decisions that work for them. Stop trying to tell us what to do. And if he did that and leveled with us and would shut Fauci up and give us the power back, you would see actually his poll numbers rise, right? And I want him, I, listen, I, I disagree with Biden's policies. I know you do too, but I love America and I want the American president, no matter who he is, to be successful because I love my country. And he is utterly wrecking America by these left-wing you know, nut job policies that he and his team are implementing. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the president and his team are tone deaf 
to the idea that they need a new fresh face if they want to build the trust within the American people. And you're right. They need to be more candid. And this thing that I've seen from the very beginning is they come out with these political policies and then they go try to find the science to back it up. And one last question. I think I said last question last time, but one other very quick question for you, Sean, because we got to go here. But um, I don't understand how the Democrats are getting away with America, the Main Street press, everybody else. Why is there not a serious investigation into the origins of the COVID virus? Uh, It's a very legitimate question. We don't want it to happen again. I think we know what the answer might be. But the president doesn't bring it up with his call with President Xi. And then he doesn't. Congress is doing nothing in terms of the origins of this virus. Well, I, I guarantee you, I know what Chairman Jason Chaffetz of the Oversight Committee would be doing <laughs> if he was in control. I know exactly what would happen, and I think we're not going to get answers until um, Republicans take control of the House or the Senate and have the power of the gavel to do these investigations. And again, this is not about Joe Biden. This is not about Democrats or Republicans. It's about the truth. Yeah. And we should know the truth about where COVID came from. We deserve that, um, or at least the best evidence that's out there. And if it came from a lab in Wuhan, we should know that. And maybe we should reflect upon you know, what kind of money Fauci was funneling through Peter Daszak to get to the Wuhan lab to do gain-of-function research that created COVID. We, we should know those things. And it seems like, frankly, it's not Joe Biden so much as it's Fauci who is stifling the investigation because potentially that investigation might lead right to his front door and some of the money that he took from taxpayers that funded this research that killed so many Americans. I think that's probably what's at play here and why they want to shut it down, because they love Fauci and Fauci loves himself and therefore doesn't want to see this investigation happen. But if I could leave you with one last thought, Jason, you said we need a fresh new face to talk to the American people. I think that's probably your next guest. If he brought in Nicole Sapphire, the great doctor, I think she would bring in some great common sense to the administration um, in truth and trust with the American people, which is is uh, so much needed. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. It's exactly right. It's a serious situation. Pe- lots of people have died. There are people and loved ones that are fighting for their lives in the hospitals right now. But the content of what we're sharing with the American people is just wrong. Listen, uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Um, share the best with the rest of the Duffy family and, um, congratulations on the book, all American Christmas. God bless you, Jason Chaffetz. And it sounds like you have a cold. So hopefully you get over that for the new year. No, this is just my new manly approach to sounding like, you know, (laughs) is this your buy and kill me voice? Yes. This is my kill me. Yeah. It's my kill me filter that I'm putting on. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) All right. Take take care, and uh, we'll be back with more of the Brian Kilmeade Show right after this. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and, of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, that's a strategy decision that's being negotiated. We, we are open to a way to, to reach the finish line. We want to make it as comprehensive as possible because the needs are just there. We recognize that families need help uh, on affordability. And that's what this is about, making our economy affordable for families. And it will be fully paid for. That, that is very clear. We understand the risks of inflation, and we are committed to making sure that we really offset all expenses. So I think with, with those parameters, we want to see it as comprehensive as possible, but we need to make sure that we have the votes to pass it. So that means it'll be different uh, than, we, than some of us would like to see. I was uh, Senator Ben Cardin on Fox News Sunday. I was a panelist on Fox News Sunday after the the senator had spoken. I find it interesting in some of those comments because they rely on some of the old talking points, making our economy affordable for our families, for families. Uh, that that seems contrary to what's happening here because this infusion, massive, massive, multi-trillion dollars of infusion into our, our uh, uh, federal expenditures it is a major cause of inflation in this country, making it less affordable to the families who can least afford it. And to continue to suggest that it will be fully paid for when the Congressional Budget Office is coming back saying that over 10 years, which is always how they score bills, is something in the neighborhood of $5 trillion. Remember, if you spend a million dollars a day every day, every day, it would take you almost 3,000 years to get to one trillion, so that's fifteen thousand years of spending a million dollars a day in just this one bill. I mean, that's how crazy and unbelievably huge this is. Uh, and remember, that's on top of the close to what are we thirty trillion dollars in debt? I mean, I can't even keep track here. We're paying about one point five billion dollars a day in interest on our national debt, and our national debt. The interest rate we're paying is near zero. So if you look at the numbers and try to suggest that. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Build Back Better somehow improves that. Remember that almost 25% of our gross domestic product, that is all the money we spend in our country through the entire year, 
about 25% of that is spent by the federal government. That doesn't count all the state government, tribal governments, all, all the governments that are being spent, spent out there. Where's the room for the private sector to, to participate? So government is controlling about one-fourth of what's going out there. It's an absurd amount of money. It is a huge, massive amount of money, and it is unsustainable. No doubt, my prediction going forward on Build Back Better, they're going to use the tool of reconciliation. I'm guessing that they will combine the State of the Union with a bill that they think they can actually get over the finish line, get Senator Manchin's approval on. They're not even going to try to get... Um, not even going to try to get, uh, uh, you know, a republic on board with it. But that's what's coming, America. It will happen. They will use that tool. It'll be pared back. They're going to say, oh, we cut this pie in half again. Look how reasonable we are. But it'll still be an absurd amount of money. Stay with us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be back with more. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, this is Jason Chaffetz. Um, we just got done talking with Sean Duffy, one of our favorites who was there in Congress. And I, I, I want to keep that, you know, because it affects so many people across the nation. Uh, there's lots of other topics we're going to talk about throughout the show. But to uh, pay attention to coronavirus and coronavirus policy is just is something that's fascinating to me, something that needs to be flushed out, something where I think there is an absolute just disconnect with the American public. And I think, again, to kind of reiterate, I think uh, Joe Biden is not doing himself any favors. I think he feels like, you know, having Anthony Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci out there is, uh, you know, some sort of heat shield uh, for for the president. But I think it'll be one of his downfalls because I just don't think people believe him at this point. Um, to get another opinion and some thoughts on COVID, we're happy to have on the line Dr. Nicole Sapphire. Dr. Sapphire, thanks for joining us today on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Good morning, Jason. Happy to be on. Well, and uh, Merry Christmas. I think uh, the Sapphire household has a new dog, a new puppy, if I saw that right on Instagram. That's right, Jason. My, you know, I have three sons. My youngest son has been asking for a small dog. We always have big dogs, but he's been asking for a small dog for a few years now. And he was surprised with a little puppy Christmas morning. Uh, It was, it was amazing because we got on video. He actually thought it was a stuffed animal and went to throw it across the room until I showed him it was real. (laughs) He was happy as queen. Whoops. All right. That's good. Let's not... (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, that's a good idea. Um, that's pretty funny, actually. Um, all right, we want to get after it and talk about COVID and COVID policy because I know I've seen you on Fox, I've heard you on Fox. I know you get fired up on this. I want to start with testing because I just flat out, flat out do not understand. Almost two years into this pandemic, that testing is still an issue. That there's still a lack of availability that even though the president says, oh, we're going to have free stuff, it's not free. And then when the president says, oh, hey, I forgot to order it. I mean, that's like when I go to the grocery store and I forget to get the avocados, I can understand why my wife gets mad at me. But how does the president of the United States forget to order test kits? 
Come on, Jason. I know you don't ever forget anything off of that list your wife makes oh, for you. Oh, yes, I do. I'm so mad. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it's very frustrating. And anyone who isn't criticizing Joe Biden right now on the lack of available and accessible testing for COVID um, is a hypocrite if they weren't also, you know, criticizing Donald Trump back in 2020. I mean, it was the exact same issue, and which is why we called President Trump out for the lack of testing. But here we are. Through two years later, nearly, through Operation Warp Speed, we had an abundance of testing come through. That was a major point of investment for the Trump administration. But then President Biden, when he came, when he took over, he was not as big of a priority for him. And maybe it was the false hope that the vaccines were going to stop transmission, or I'm not sure what it was, but it certainly wasn't made a priority. And while he continues to say, oh, well, we were surprised by Omicron and we didn't see this coming, despite Dr. Fauci and Others saying, oh, yeah, we did. Um, If you go back to the testing shortages, you just have to look at the Delta wave. We were having shortages in August and September as well. So when you see President Biden come out and say, good news, we're going to have testing and now it's going to be free. You know, everyone's chuckling a little bit because that's just not going to be the case. You can't just walk into the pharmacy and it's going to be free. Think of the amount of paperwork that it's going to now take if you want to submit those tests to the insurance companies, if you're trying to get those at-home rapid tests. And the truth is, if they're saying that there's going to be a website up by mid-January so you can go on and get a free test, okay, well, if it works as good as the Affordable Care Act website that uh, was put together, then I'm sure it will be an immediate failure. Yeah, that uh, that was such a joke. And that's the last thing I want to do is create, give my name, address, social, you know, all my private personal data to the government again. So there's another chance that they're going to lose that information. We've already seen that movie and been there before. I Help me understand here. What, what is the prevailing discussion as you go and talk to people in the medical field about this whole idea of, look, if I go out and get COVID because millions of people have had COVID, How come there's no understanding or no, I mean, do I need to still then get a booster? Would I still go get another vaccination shot, even if I've already had COVID? There's like, seems to be no recognition that, uh, oh, you already had it? Boy, you're about as safe as a person we could have here. So come on in. Why don't you eat at our restaurant? Well, so that's the problem, Jason. And it's not that it's there's no understanding. There's actually a great understanding of what's going on. And there's a lot of a mountain of data at this point talking about hybrid immunity, which is those people who have been fully vaccinated, two doses, as well as then have gotten either they had COVID before they got vaccinated or they've had a breakthrough infection. There's a lot of data on that. Um, unfortunately, the um, talking points, though, in the United States right now are You have to only speak about being fully vaccinated and being fully boosted. That's the only thing that people are going to talk about. And I don't know if they are just continuing full steam ahead because they worry that it will create a level of hesitancy, but not acknowledging the data, not acknowledging what just about every other country does, only creates more of a credibility gap in our public health establishment. The data at this point, Jason, says that natural immunity is very strong. Natural immunity plus vaccine immunity is incredibly strong. So someone who has been fully vaccinated, who has gotten COVID and recovered, their level of protection 
for the far majority, is very uh, robust and long-acting. And there is a big study that came out of the U.K. looking at over 30,000 healthcare workers that showed that that protection lasts at least a year, at least a year and a half. We don't know if it's longer because we haven't been in the pandemic much longer. And so when they continued... There's no data that shows that a booster in those individuals really has any clinical relevance. Yes, it's going to shoot up their antibody numbers. We know the booster does that. So it does give that added protection of getting a symptomatic infection again. But it doesn't give them any further benefit of keeping them out of the hospital or any severe illness. Probably not. And that's where the data is lacking. Well, and that's what's such a disconnect, I think, for the public, those of us that aren't in a doctor or in the medical field. That's where there's such a disconnect because, like, hey, wait a sec. What do you mean i got to show papers to go get a cheeseburger? Like, I, you know, maybe a cheeseburger is not great for my health, but I want to go in and eat that cheeseburger. I shouldn't have to show you papers in order to go sit and eat si- inside and eat it. Um, well, well, Jason, take that a step further. In New York City and, you know, in the Northeast, kids. Five to 11-year-olds have to now be fully vaccinated to go see a play, to go do any of the holiday festivities, to go into restaurants. But yet there is zero data that show that children otherwise healthy who have recovered from COVID actually have any clinical benefit from these vaccines. Yeah. But And despite the fact that anywhere up to 60% of those kids have already recovered from COVID. But the talking points are they have to be fully vaccinated. It doesn't matter if they had COVID. It doesn't matter any of their risk factors. They have to be vaccinated. And this is going to cause a detriment, as well as the universal booster campaign in young adults and adolescents. There is not going to be a tangible positive effect from these measures. All it is going to do is hurt the industry, its workers, and these kids. And I think it'll hurt Democrats as they go into the 2022 election. I think this is one of those privacy issues that is going to come back and bite the Democrats in a huge, huge way. You can be pro-vaccine. I personally, I've had the vaccine. I've had the booster. My wife has had it. You know, we believe in it. But the mandate is just too far. That, that, that's what drives people nuts. Um, I want to play a little clip from Dr. Fauci. He seems to be on every national news program every 30 minutes. I don't know how the guy has time to even read. Um, and let alone do his job. But this is a clip for uh, Dr. Fauci on ABC. A vaccine requirement for a person getting on the plane is just another level of getting people to have a mechanism that would spur them to get vaccinated. So, I mean, anything that could get uh, people more vaccinated would be welcome. But with regard to the spread of virus in the country. I mean, I think if you look at wearing a mask and the filtration on on planes, things are reasonably safe. Doctor? Yeah, Jason, so the United States, we're kind of kind of in a landlock right now where you can't, we're not going or standstill. We're not, we're not doing much in terms of our vaccine numbers. And so I think they're grasping at straws right now on how can we boost these vaccine rates. Because the truth is, there are still about 10 to 15 million Americans who are considered high risk for COVID-19. And that's where we should start targeting our energy. It's not about getting a healthy 24-year-old boosted. It's getting the 60-year-old unvaccinated person on dialysis to get vaccinated. And so 
I understand why they're saying these things, but the truth is that is not going to have a measurable effect on this pandemic. We need to be more targeted in who we are trying to get vaccinated. And in that sense, that is where we need to be. And if that's not going to work, then they need to allow people to move forward. Just like we don't segregate or are punitive or refuse care to people who smoke cigarettes or who drink alcohol or who live sedentary lifestyle. All choices that are risky and come with risk of health um, complications, we need to move forward as a society that as long as we have educated and provided affordable and access vaccines to those that are high risk, if they continue to choose to be unvaccinated, then we have to do everything we can to make sure that there's a hospital bed for them and that the treatments are available for them. Otherwise, the rest of society needs to move forward. Yeah, I think one of the core things that's wrong with the approach that Dr. Fauci is taking, which goes far beyond his mandate, and uh, like he can make the recommendation, but ultimately you have to look at President Biden and Vice President Harris and say, well, this is your decision, um, is that they say that a vaccine requirement for a person getting on the plane is just another level of getting people to have a mechanism that would spur them to get vaccinated. It's not about making sure that it's more safe on an airplane. There's nothing in the science that he's saying, but he's just using this as a as a mechanism, a bludgeoning tool to say, well, see, you know, you're not going to be able to fly uh, if you can't do this. Here's one more clip from Dr. Fauci on ABC about masks on flight. Cut five. We want to make sure people keep their masks on. I think the idea of taking masks off, in my mind, is, is really not something we should even be considering. Which but is, that's what we meant by it depends on what the goal of getting people vaccinated before they get on a domestic flight. I, I, there's so much confusion about this. that The air is supposedly circulated every two minutes on a flight. Uh, why are they trying to put a four-year-old in a mask? Just try, That is so wrong. And I've had a four-year-old, actually a three-year-old, on a plane across the country trying to get a mask on her. And it's so wrong. So it's painful, Jason. And yes, while planes are heavily equipped with HEPA filters, we have learned that the particles of SARS-CoV-2, they're extremely small. So they're not 100% getting circulated um, and filtered out by those filters, but they certainly are getting filtered out enough. We all know that when you go onto an airplane that it's drier air. A lot of people tend to get the sniffles or even, you know, a little respiratory virus from coming out. And it is possible that you can get SARS-CoV-2 from flying on an airplane. You can also get it in your household, in the car, in a restaurant, anywhere you go. So why would we continue these mandates with mask wearing and vaccination to get on the airplane? People accept risks as they move on with their life. Anyone who wants to be vaccinated, has been vaccinated. That lessens their risk of severe illness. Anybody who wants to be boosted, 16 and older, has been able to do that, further decreasing their risk of infection and severe illness. Other than that, we need to accept that this virus is becoming endemic. And thankfully, with this new variant, Omicron, it seems to be much more mild. So we need to stop these severe, strict measures 
and allow what's more likely to be a cold or a very mild flu in individuals to circulate, especially when it comes to our children, the lowest risk population. Now, if you are a high risk individual, whether you have comorbidities that make you at an increased risk of severe illness, you take medications that do that, then that is the person who should be wearing a high quality mask because just like the flu, just like other viruses and bacteria, they are at a higher risk of having a severe illness. That's who we need to protect. It is time to remove these measures from the general population. All right, very last question. Very quick, I've only got a few seconds really left, but this idea of different quarantine periods, that I've heard you talk about this. I don't understand this. I don't understand. Well, actually, one of the things I've been calling for, Jason, is saying we have to reduce the quarantine and isolation periods because that is why we have worker shortages, because you test positive, you have the sniffles for a couple of days, and then you have to sit at home doing nothing for a week, and it doesn't make sense, especially when data shows that a vaccinated individual transmits the virus less. Now, but what's not making sense is to say, hey, you know, if you're a doctor, if you're a nurse, if you get COVID, I mean, thank you, by the way, for working the last two years, but if you get COVID, you can go back to work in about five days and be with immunocompromised and other vulnerable patients. But you know, we're going to cancel all the Christmas flights because a pilot who's going to go sit in a cockpit by himself with maybe one other person, they can't go back after five days. Like it doesn't make sense. You want to follow the science, follow the science. You can't just pick and choose your narrative. Well, amen to that. And Dr. You've been great. And we're talking with Dr. Nicole Sapphire. She's been absolutely fabulous on this topic and others. And Glad to hear you um, had a wonderful Merry Christmas and that, you know, the, the little new puppy wasn't thrown across the room as a <laughs> as a mere doll. So good luck with that. I feel for you. You may not get as much sleep as you had anticipated, but um, you got a beautiful, wonderful family. And I hope you have a wonderful and happy new year. Thank you, Jason. Merry Christmas and happy new year to you and everyone listening. All right. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. And we'll be back right after this. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I've talked to some of your former Senate colleagues, and they say, you have been given an impossible portfolio. Do you think any of this is fair? Do you think you're being set up to fail? No, I don't believe I'm being set up to fail. But um, these are more Democrats. but, But more important, I'm Vice President of the United States. Anything that I handle is because it's a tough issue and it couldn't be handled at some other level. And there are a lot of big, tough issues that need to be addressed. That's Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, Yeah, there are a lot of big, tough issues. I can't name one that you've actually tackled or that you fully engaged in. I think that's the problem that America is seeing and why the vice president's approval rating is as about as bad as any we have ever, ever seen. Immigration, for instance, at the border, uh, voting issues, these types of things. You know, when you barely touch and go down in El Paso to glance by the uh, uh, the border, when you don't actually visit 
border patrol agents that are out there. People in America see it. They know it. You, you haven't dove deep into the issue. And I think that just shows how completely out of touch. And what a year that has been wasted. The vice president had a chance to grab a hold of this, show that she had the, the policy chops in order to do this, but it's just not happening. And America sees it. America knows it. And that's why her poll number is about as bad as it, bad as it could be. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jason Chaffetz, filling in for Brian. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, I'm actually Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian. Brian's taking a nice uh, little vacation with his family. We're glad for Brian. I'm filling in here. Also, uh, today on Fox News, I'll be uh, on the 5, and then I'm filling in for Laura Ingram on the Ingram Angle on Fox News, if you can watch those as well. But uh, honored to be here uh, hosting the Brian Kilmeade Show because uh, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. There's so much to talk about. There's a lot of things going on in the world, and I'm kind of I'm a little bit fired up about stuff and thrilled to have on the line joining us uh, from the New York Post, Michael Goodwin. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Jason. And I agree with you that uh, stupidity never takes a holiday. That's right. I don't care if it's Christmas, Hanukkah, Valentine's Day. There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And obviously, the all the cameras, the focus of the world is is on the president of the United States. You're the leader of the free world. We look to that person to give us energy and strength, but policies that will improve the American people's lives. But I don't know. When I see Joe Biden shuffle up to the to the microphone and kind of cough in his hand and and talk about things and say, well, I forgot. I forgot to order the testing kits. It doesn't exude a lot of confidence. Now, uh, the record on that is very devastating, as you suggest, because he has repeatedly talked about testing as starting with one of the failures of the Trump administration, which I think we all saw that uh, when the pandemic first hit, uh, test test kits were in short supply. There were all kinds of problems with ones that had that were sent and then had to be recalled. Uh, that's that's almost two years ago now. Um, and still, there's a shortage of testing. Still, there is uh, there are these long lines, and and uh, Biden has repeatedly said he was going to fix the testing issue, and then seems to forget about it until it rolls around again, sort of like clockwork. And and again, he makes the promise. And uh, even the the speech last week, I, I mean, I don't know to this point if the contracts have actually been signed for those five hundred million dollar. Uh, 500 million tests that he promised. So uh, I think there is a pattern. I think there's a lack of follow-up. And for somebody who ran on uh, the compassion that he said Donald Trump lacked 
over the uh, coronavirus pandemic, that so many lives were lost. Here we are a year into the Biden administration. More lives have actually been lost this year than last year, uh, despite the vaccines, despite the therapeutics, despite this promise of increased testing. So it, it is it is a bedeviling situation. And Joe Biden has certainly not got his hands around it yet. Well, and I don't think he adds any confidence to the American people when he continues to rely on on Dr. Fauci. I I have said many, many times, I I do believe that America wants a second opinion. I think part of the downfall of the the Biden administration will be a continued reliance on Dr. Fauci. I think the number of people that believe him is dwindling, both in the medical community and in the public, and that if you wanted to try to garner more support, more ideas— um, and a better front-facing uh, posture, it would be to get rid of Dr. Fauci. But I, I, I struggle, Michael, as I look back over the last year, and I think, you know, Joe Biden said that he wanted to tackle and get rid of COVID and not destroy the economy, but I can't think of one thing that he's really done over the past year that it's had a, a dramatic effect or even a small effect on COVID. What has he actually done? Well, in many ways, it it strikes me that Joe Biden is a presider. Um, He's not a leader. Um, He's not. You don't get a sense that Joe Biden is personally directing Fauci or or the health departments or the CDC. Uh, You get a sense that he's kind of pronouncing these things, saying them as though they're facts, and then, you know, goes and takes a nap. Um, and you don't have a sense of a leader here. And I think that is that is the fundamental problem. I mean, Donald Trump was a was a leader. Love him or hate him. He was a leader. He, he was not following. He was leading. Now, sometimes he was wrong. And so he the, the, the leader will take you in the wrong direction. But that is, I think, a price we, we generally are willing to pay to get a leader. And Biden, in my mind, to the extent that that Biden was fairly elected, it was over this issue of we want a compassionate consoler. At least many people in this country did. They wanted the anti-Trump and they got it. They got the anti-Trump. You could not be more different from Donald Trump than, than Joe Biden. And yet look what he has produced so I think that there's a cautionary tale here that people should look under the hood a little more carefully at what they're buying, because Joe Biden is a failing president on almost any front that you want to look at, foreign, domestic, pandemic, crime, relations with China, relations with Russia, with Iran. All of that has gotten worse. The pandemic, of course, inflation. So there are so many measurements. And and just I think the country, large sections of the country have lost confidence in him and his party, which makes it even harder to govern because you now you've squandered this year. You've squandered that trust. And now you've got to rebuild it. It's a very difficult hill for him to climb now. Yeah, we're talking to Michael Goodwin, New York 
uh, Post columnist and uh, Fox News contributor. And your analysis, I think, is absolutely spot on. I think you you say that with great clarity that uh, I haven't heard others say. I think you're right. I think he's more he presides. He's not a leader. And there is a fundamental and total difference because now we find ourselves where the president has promised with Kamala Harris that Build Back Better was going to be, you know, the way to solve our woes. Um, but I, you know, I get the sense that that was cooked up in the back room a couple of years ago and they put everything they could possibly put in there on the progressive new green deal agenda. Um, but then it wasn't Joe Biden or sitting down and, you know, authoring some pivotal piece of legislation. I think they, they overshot. I think they, they tried to get everything they could possibly get in there. But now, as you've written, they they find themselves in a quandary, and it's very difficult to try to get that back. And I don't understand how they beat up Joe um, Manchin, uh, disparage his character and the people of West Virginia, and then think that Joe Biden can simply go up, give a speech, and, hey, we're going to pat, pat Joe Manchin on the back. I mean, they need him on every single vote. But what do you think is going to happen with Build Back Better? Well, Look, I'm always amazed that it's gotten this far, uh, that that it is within striking distance of being passed in the Senate, uh, because, A, the bill is not fully written. Uh, There are so many things in it that are so wild and so different. And so we're we're back to the uh, Obamacare, uh, Nancy Pelosi line. You have to pass it to find out what's in it. and and for me this idea that if you take out mansion and cinema as potential no votes that you have 48 yes votes is is actually quite more shocking than the fact that you would have might have two no votes among democrats all 48 of the others are going to vote for this thing i mean are there no sensible democratic democrats left in the senate I mean, if they were if they were to pass this thing that is being discussed, whether it's two trillion uh, or the uh, under phony accounting or five or six trillion under honest accounting, I mean, really, Chuck Schumer and and Dick Durbin and Coons and and Warner and uh, Leahy and uh, even Feinstein, uh, these people are all going to vote for this. I mean, they have spent their lives in the Senate, and this is this is where they've come to that uh, we have to spend, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on climate change. We have to we have to stop all fossil fuels. We, I mean, this is what they really believe in, or have they just surrendered their party to the far left, and they are just willing to go along? just to keep their jobs, that that if they don't, they'll all be primaried. Uh, and so, therefore, they've got to bow and scrape to AOC and the squad, and they have to sort of look the other way at anti-Semitism. Uh, they, have to, they have to pretend that the Iranians really want peace. Uh, they have to pretend that, uh, that the Nord Stream pipeline isn't a favor to Putin that will hook Europe on Russian gas forever and effectively destroy the meaning of NATO? I mean, do they do they not 
have any sense of any of these things, not to mention inflation and taxes. And I mean, the list goes on. You say, what happened to the Democratic Party? How, where did it lose its brains? Yeah, there doesn't seem to be any blue dog Democrat out there. I tend to think that you're right. There are a host of, of Democrats out there just to their core saying, oh, this is really bad. But, boy, I don't want a primary. I don't want to have AOC yelling at me on television. And that bullying side of the far, far left, the Bernie Sanders end of the wing, they've seen the crowds that show up to chant, you know, we love Bernie, and they're afraid. There's no profile in courage over there other than Manchin and and Kristen Cinema and others that are just clinging to power and hope of life. I, I just I just don't understand it. And but to the same time, I think Biden and Harris have have overreached because they too have, have fallen for this. Joe Biden, I, I I'm just terribly disappointed in him. And I want to get your we're going to have to wrap up here pretty quick. But I want to get your take on Kamala Harris because she has some of the worst poll numbers. Others say it's because, hey, you know, really, they just gave her a portfolio that's just not fair. But I can't think of one accomplishment that she's had in the first year. I want you to listen to this clip 16. This is Kamala Harris um, on uh, CBS News uh, being questioned about her biggest failure in her first year. What do you think your biggest failure has been at this point? <laughs> to not get out of D.C. more. <laughs> I mean... Uh, and I actually mean that sincerely uh, for a number of reasons. A large part of the relationship that he and I have built has been being in this, you know, together in the same office for hours on end doing Zooms or whatever because we couldn't get out of D.C. Wow, she just didn't travel. She frequent flyer miles are lacking. That's her biggest problem. What do you think, Michael? Well, look, I, I think that's, uh, that's the lament of a loser, that um, – <laughs> Your job is actually to be in D.C. Uh, that That is the seat of government. That is where your office is. And, yes, you have to get out sometimes, but fundamentally it, it can't be that you're escaping uh, the responsibilities of your office. I mean, she makes it seem like she's trapped there. Uh, she's been free to go anywhere. Uh, she she didn't want to go to the border. She didn't want to go to Central America. Uh, she doesn't even talk to them by telephone, according to the president of Guatemala. So I, I'm not sure. For her, it seems to me just another excuse as to why her numbers are so poor, why she's held in, in such disregard. I, I must say, too, Jason, that I think her biggest fight is not with the media or or the public. Uh, or even Republicans. Her biggest problem seems to be in the White House, that she cannot get along somehow with her own staff, and she can't find her footing uh, in the Biden presidency. Uh, when, when you look at, at what the people in, around her were complaining about, it was, it was the Biden people. It was the assignment she was given. It's the support she supposedly wasn't given. Uh, they're, they're, that's her biggest problem. So yeah, when yeah. she wants to get away from D.C., she wants to get away from Joe Biden. Yeah, she's talk, we're talking about behind-the-scenes people like Susan Rice and Brian Deese and 
I mean, how difficult can it be to manage your own employees, for goodness sake? And they're having to go see psychologists after spending a couple months with her. So <laughs> it, it's a tough go. Uh, Michael Goodwin from the New York Post uh, and a Fox News contributor. Thank you so much for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We really, true, truly appreciate it. I hope you have a wonderful and happy new year. Thank you, Jason. The same to you. All right. Uh, we'll be back with more of the Brian Kilmeade Show right after this. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So the United Press International put out a uh, the best of 2021, and there were three very interesting lottery stories. Now, look, you go play the lottery, odds are you're going to lose. You're going to end up with less money than you started with. But there are some winners out there, and... Uh, the UPI looked at it and said, all right, here are the three the most interesting stories. Uh, so here's number one, Tennessee friends Wyatt Close and Brandon Thompson. Now, these guys are 19 years old, and they stopped at Quick Trip Store, uh, where Close talked Thompson into going 50-50 to buy some scratch-off lottery tickets. Um, and it turns out that they didn't have the scratch-off that they wanted. So they decided he selected two Two Jumbo Bucks Titanium Instant Tickets and the friends split the cost. Pretty good deal for whoever decided, yeah, I'll go 50-50. Because they could have said, no, we didn't go 50-50. Because they hit the jackpot at $3 million from one of the tickets and said they'd split the money evenly. The teenagers said their winnings would go towards savings, investings. Yeah, right. You're going to just put it in the bank, 19-year-olds. Come on, give me a break. But they did say they're going to build a house, so good for them. they got to pay some taxes. Treat it right, fellas. Don't blow through all the money by the time you're 21 years old. I don't buy that they're just putting it into savings and investments, but that's, I'm sure, what their mom told them they should do. All right, number two was the man credits $100,000 lottery winning to a little voice inside of his head. Nolan Steele, who's 78 years old from Sykesville, I think is how you pronounce it, Maryland. He was preparing to lead, according to the story, High's store in Carroll County, where he said, you know what, I think I'm going to buy a ticket. And uh, he spent uh, $10 on a Willy Wonka golden ticket game, gave him $100,000. He said he wanted to have his house painted and the hall, the rest would go to his wife of 43 years to spend. Good for them. And then the last one, a woman. Karen Sandres of Charlotte, North Carolina, collected $2 million in a lottery ticket, um, but she didn't actually pay for the lottery ticket. She got it as a gift from a friend. She won $2 million. Ask yourself, what would you give? The person gave you that $20 scratch off and you win, and you took home $2 million? What's the right amount of money? What do you do for that person? something to think about hope it hope uh, good tidings happen to you this this year uh going into 2022 i'm jason chaffetz filling in for brian kill we'll be back with more right after this 
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian. Uh, he's taking a well-deserved vacation. Brian's like one of the hardest working people in all of television and radio. It's amazing. You know, three hours Fox and Friends, three hours on the radio. And then he goes out and does other shows. He's on the road, writing books. It's amazing. I really appreciate him allowing me to sit in on his seat. And uh, we're, uh, we've uh, got a lot going on because uh, there's a lot happening in the world. We've been talking about COVID and all kinds of things. But... Uh, we're thrilled to have this uh, next uh, guest with us. It's Congressman Chris Stewart. Now, I served with Chris Stewart. I was in the Congress for eight and a half years uh, from the state of Utah. Chris Stewart is the congressman from Utah's second district. I was the congressman from the third district. So we know each other really well. Um, and uh, thanks for joining us here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, great to be with you, Jason. Appreciate all you do, but wish you'd come back and help us out in Congress because we need good guys, as it turns out. Well, you know, it's a, there's a saying that uh, friends don't let friends run for Congress, so I don't know what you're trying to say to me, but um, I, I hear you. I, I, I appreciate it. I know it's a personal – it's always fun to interact with you, and I'm glad to have you on the show. So thanks for joining us. Well, as I say, good to be with you, and, and Happy New Year. And let's hope that 22 is – is a little better than 20 and 21. They would, the, the, look, as, as a people, as a nation, we've been struggling. We all sense it, but I, I hope you have a sense of optimism as we move forward because I think there are going to be some good things that happen in the future. Well, you're a very optimistic person. And um, a little bit more about Chris Stewart that uh, maybe those of you at home don't realize or remember, but uh, not only does he play a pivotal role on the, uh, on the House Intelligence Committee, there's a lot of people out there, and I know you can't comment on this, uh, Congressman, but there's a lot of people that anticipate with the stepping down of Devin Nunes leaving to go work with Donald Trump on his new social media platform. That happens this week. And so it's a select committee, and the way it works is the ranking member of the Republicans, in this case Kevin McCarthy, has the sole decision on who gets to fill in to be the ranking member. And it's widely anticipated, obviously, in 2022, that Republicans take control of the House. And by taking control of the House, that ranking member then becomes the chairman of the very important, very powerful House Intelligence Committee. And I got to believe that you're the lead, you know, you the, the, the odds on favorite to take over that role. Again, I know you can't comment on it. We thought that maybe Kevin McCarthy would make this announcement. Normally with committee assignments, it's the vote of a steering committee. But in the, the uh, select committee on intelligence, it's a unilateral decision by, uh, the, in this case, uh, Kevin McCarthy. So any time now, I think that announcement can come out unless you want to sneak some sort of hint at what's going on there. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'll preempt uh, Kevin. That would be poor form. Uh, you know, we don't know what uh, what Kevin's going to do. Uh, there's a, there's several people who are great members who are interested. Uh, I will say this. Uh, if I were given that opportunity, one of the most satisfying and proudest days of my life professionally would be the day I take that gavel from Adam Schiff. Uh, 
Oh my uh, goodness. Because uh, it, it's just tragic what has happened to the intelligence community under his leadership, and it just simply has to change. Look, uh, my my comments, not yours. Um, the idea that uh, Adam Schiff and and uh, Eric Swalwell even have security clearances, let alone be on the intelligence committee at this point, um, is just absolutely shameful. And shame on on Nancy Pelosi for allowing that to happen. Uh, one other thing, I other thing I want to mention about Chris Stewart, you actually hold the world record, right, for fastest flight around the world. How did that go down? Fastest flight around the world. Yep. Well, you know, uh, as Air Force pilot for 14 years, uh, had a chance to fly combat rescue helicopters and the B-1. And uh, this is kind of an interesting story. I can only I'll, I'll take 20 seconds to, to you know slim it down here. But basically, we're flying missions from the United States over to the Middle East, doing practice bomb runs, coming back, and these are like 17, 20 hour missions, and we're getting ready for one. And I said, Hey, dude, why don't we why don't we just keep going? Uh, we're about a third away around the world. Why don't we just keep going? And as we started, you know, kind of thinking about it and preparing, we realized, yeah, yeah, we could do that. We could show the combat capabilities of the B-1. And then later on, we realized we're, we're going to set the world's record and we're going to destroy the world's record. So uh, that was fun. I tell you, Jason, the time I spent in the military was some of the most satisfying, just just some of the proudest days of, uh, of, of my life. And my family feels the same way. We're just very proud to have been able to serve. Well, thank you for your service. Um, it is kind of fun to have that asterisk and say, hey, you know, fast, fastest flight around the world with the B-1. Uh, I, I did not know. Probably everybody else in the world knew, but I did not know. I'm like, well, what about those fighter jets? Like, how do you, like, what do you do? To, I mean, how do you catch up to those fighter jets? And I think you told me it's exactly the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I mean, they think that the B-1 is just such a sleek, sexy airplane, and it's built to go fast, and, and we carry so much fuel that we can, you know, you go to afterburner, your your burn rate just goes up uh, exponentially, and, and fighters just can't keep up with this. We would actually have to kind of slow down our mission planning when we when we flew with fighter escorts, and, and you know, we can do it so much longer. A fighter can go into afterburner for, you know, 15 seconds maybe, and, and then they just will run out of gas, and uh, B1 could stay in that speed for, well, all the way around the world. That's amazing. Uh, amazing. Again, thank you again for your service. All right, we've got to talk about some relevant things that are that are in the news here. Um, and, you know, given your uh, understanding of the world, the intelligence committee work that you've done, your understanding of the United States military, um, there are some big threats to the United States of America that are going to happen to us in, in rapid fashion. Not only do we have... China and Taiwan, we got the Iranian threat, uh, we have Russia there on the border of Ukraine. But when Kamala Harris was asked on CBS News what she thought the biggest national security threats are, listen to clip 17 and what she said, then I want to get your comments about this, Congressman Stewart. What do you see as the biggest national security challenge confronting the U.S.? What is the thing that worries you and keeps you up at night? Frankly, one of them is our democracy. We are embarking on a, a, a new era where the threats to uh, our nation take many forms, including uh, the threat of autocracies taking over and having outsized influence around the world. And mm -hmm. so I go back to our, our point about the need to fight for the integrity of our democracy. In addition, it is obviously about what we need to do in the climate crisis. Congressman Stewart, what are your thoughts about what the vice president had to say? 
Well, let me take the second one first, because I knew she she would say that. And it should scare the life out of Americans to think that the vice president of the United States, and by the way, so does the president and most of the people around him, they look at the world we're living in. They look, as you said, Jason, Russia massing on the Ukrainian border and what that does, the threats against Taiwan, North Korea's nukes, Iran with nukes, et cetera, et cetera. And to conclude that climate change is the greatest threat facing our country internationally, it's nonsense. And most Americans realize it's nonsense. And it should frighten them that they think that's true, because then where will they put their priorities? Where will they put their attention? And where will the what weapons programs and other programs will they fund if they actually think climate change is the greatest threat facing our country? But they actually think that. Now, to her first comment, it's interesting, Jason. We see this thing where they're setting the table now. You know, they make these claims all the time about how uh, Donald Trump was a totalitarian. Give me evidence of that, because there is none. For heaven's sakes, he was held more accountable than any president in our history. And yet they set the table all the time now to think that Republicans somehow are, are formulating this totalitarian regime or this totalitarian conspiracy. And it's simply, uh, once again, I'll use the word, it's simply nonsense. But they're doing that because in their minds, any political opposition, anyone who doesn't agree with them that climate change is the greatest threat facing our country or that white supremacy is the greatest threat facing our country domestically must therefore be totalitarians. And we have to stop them. And uh, and I actually share her concern because as they set this narrative and try to argue that anyone who disagrees with them politically must be because they want a, uh, a tyrannical government. It, it, it worries me how that plays out in, you know, say, election in 22 when we take back the House and some of the claims they may take about that, or when a Republican wins a presidency in, in 2024. Yeah, it, it's, it is stunning to think uh, their view of the world. It's just it really does scare me along the way. I, I want to move to Russia and talk a little bit about uh, what's going on with uh, Putin and his moves. Um, Secretary Pompeo, former Secretary of State, was on Sunday Morning Futures on Fox. Uh, listen to his comments, cut 20, on what he thinks Putin wants to do. The fall of the Soviet Union now, 30 years on, is very clearly something that's on Vladimir Putin's mind. He wants to build it back. We can't permit that to happen. It's not in America's best interest. And we, we can't give the kinds of guarantees that Vladimir Putin is asking for. I, I don't think he really expects that we will, but I do think he believes that he can coerce this administration and cause them to give him things just by showing force and power and resolve in a way that this administration has not demonstrated its willingness to do. And again, the Secretary Pompeo, you know, my, one of my concerns is when you're not even able to defend your own border, I'm talking about the United States and our southern border, we can't even protect our own border. What makes you think we're going to help protect the Taiwanese or the or the Ukrainian border? I mean, Putin and, and Xi have got to be looking at this thinking, yeah, it's a pretty good time to move because Putin's looking at this saying, hey, I took over part of Georgia. I took over part of Ukraine. Nothing really happened to me. Yeah. Uh, by the way, under Democratic leadership, and they didn't do that under President Trump under Republican leadership, because, look, this is the fundamental question that Putin and she and others are asking is, is America a serious nation any longer? Is America, is America honest? And when they make claims, are they willing to back up those claims? And they're going to test that. And I think they concluded, hey, they're not a serious nation, not under this leadership. 
And so for the last six weeks now, when I talk to media and others and they ask about the Ukraine, I say, keep your eyes there. This is something we haven't seen before. Uh, Vladimir Putin is, is very serious when he makes these claims. Now, when Secretary Pompeo says that he wants to rebuild the former Soviet Union, that's exactly right. He said that. That's not a secret. And he's done it pretty effectively through control of defense ministers and foreign ministers and, in some case, prime ministers in some of the satellite countries over the past eight years or so. And he's done it, as you said, Jason, through military excursions. And, and look, this is the bottom line. We can persuade him not to do this if we are willing to make it painful enough for him if he does. And I'm not talking military intervention. I'm talking about the other tools that we have available to us. But this president seems so fickle that he can't seem to concentrate on that or to commit to doing that. And so uh, I, I, I just think we need to watch carefully what happens over there in the next you know, month or so. You know, it was amazing. One of the first things that uh, Joe Biden did was, you know, allow the gave just unilaterally just gave to Russia the ability to build this pipeline, something the Trump administration had had fought back this Nord Stream 2 pipeline. But it took away one of the negotiating tools that he could have with Biden or with uh, Putin and just disarmed unilaterally. Exactly. And, you know, that's why we put so much pressure on Germany and German leadership and European leadership said we said, don't put yourselves in this position. Don't put yourselves where you are enslaved by uh, Russian uh, energy policy or Russia's ability to cut off what is now a very critical component of your overall energy supplies. And yet they didn't uh, listen to our our uh, our. Uh, prodding and pressure on that they have put themselves in that position and vladimir putin knows that and he's going to take advantage of it it's one of the real challenges we have now is how do we dissuade him when he can hold most of europe but particularly germany hostage by threatening to cut off supply of oil and gas to them uh, and it, it's a complicating factor that didn't need to be this way if, if they had made the right decision two years ago they wouldn't put themselves in this vulnerable position they find themselves in now well, and that's part of what happened also on day one of the Biden administration is when they unilaterally decided that being energy independent, energy self-sufficient here in the United States of America, uh, that they weren't going to do that. You know, our state yeah. of Utah with all the public lands to get rid of the, you know, the, the uh, Arctic National Wildlife Refuge resources and uh, there's so many things where we had the ability to fuel our future and to be able to export. But when you start to take those down and dwindle it, guess what? Prices at the pump rise here and we have the inability or then to comes into place to actually help our NATO allies and partners around the world. And we we can't fight back on just being able to supplement the supply of energy. I know. I mean, the, the irony of this is just beyond parody. The president comes in, shuts down Keystone Pipeline, shuts down oil and gas exploration in the West, in, in Alaska, et cetera. And then six months later, finds himself in a position where he's going to, uh, to Saudi Arabia and begging them to increase yeah. their oil production. Who, by the way, does it in a far less environmentally conscious way than the United States does. It was one of the great economic miracles of the previous four years that we became energy independent, in fact, an energy exporter, as you said. And in six months, we had tipped that on its head. And now we shut down our own production and go to the Saudis 
and go to other world producers, none of which are our close allies, and ask them to kind of to, to increase their production to, to yeah, give us and a buffer. And as you said, uh, we can't now, help, and now we cannot help Europe. Yeah, and and it's it, it, they think they're doing the world a, a, a help. No, what United States was doing is much more environmentally friendly. Uh, We have to go. Uh, We need a commercial break here, but we've been talking with Congressman Chris Stewart, who I think is the odds-on favorite to become the next uh, senior person for the Republicans there on the House Intelligence Committee. But that'll play itself out later this week. Good luck on that. And thanks for joining us on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Chris Stewart. Thank, Thank you so much. All right, we'll be back with more right after this. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. She hasn't delivered on these things, despite there being a playbook for, I don't know, uh, dealing with problems like the border. President Trump gave them a playbook. They completely shredded it and threw it away. Uh, on voting rights, you would think that, uh, you know, as a former Democratic senator who knows lots of Democrats on Capitol Hill, should be able to go to Capitol Hill and, and kind of work through uh, the voting rights issues that they have installed, uh, specifically in the Senate, on that, that issue. And yet she continues to fail. And so, you know, this idea that the vice president is somehow— uh, a victim of some kind um, is ridiculous. Ah, it is ridiculous. That is Katie Pavlich, who was on uh, the big Sunday show on Fox News, talking about Kamala Harris, the vice president, who comes up with all kinds of excuses, but somehow can't get past the idea that, you know, hiring the very small staff that is available to her, courtesy of the American taxpayers, that these people are having to go literally see psychologists about the abuse Um, She can't even run the office, let alone the country. Um, The idea that her number one issue, her biggest failure, she said after her first year, is that she didn't get out of D.C. enough. Um, That's an interesting take because you're given Air Force Two. You can on a whim be able to go anywhere in the world that you'd like to, but can't seem to talk to the people that are there on the front lines doing some big issues like the immigration. So don't tell us that the border is closed only to find out that, you know, you haven't even really spent any time talking to Border Patrol, talking to the president of the nation that you went and visited earlier. Those types of things are catching up. It's because it's about policy and you need to actually get out and do it. I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian Kilmeade. We'll be back. Stay with us. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Almost Brian Kilmeade. This is Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian. Uh, I'm fired up. There's a lot happening out in the world. Lots to talk about. Um, You know, we have these holidays. I hope you had a great and wonderful uh, Christmas. A Merry Christmas yourself. Uh, The Chaffetz household, we had a great one. Uh, Getting a little snow in Utah. That's good when you got the ski industry. Uh, It's as important as it is. We got a lot of snow up in the mountains. So come ski Utah. Um, 
but I, I, and I hope people are traveling. I feel so bad. You know, I see that there are hundreds of flights missing along the way, and that's, you know, people getting canceled out and whatnot. I'm like, oh, my goodness. There's nothing worse than trying to go see Grandma, and you can't even get on an airplane. But uh, hope you're having a wonderful time. Uh, I am filling in for Brian. I also wanted to mention that I have a podcast. The podcast is called Jason in the House. Jason in the House. Anywhere you listen to a podcast, you go to Fox News Podcasts. You can go to Spotify. You can go to Apple. You go wherever you listen to podcasts. Type in. Jason in the house. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, and I hope you have some fun with this. Some good in-depth interviews and my take on some of the news and clips of the day. And then, of course, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. So that's where you do a little segment about bringing on the stupid. But um, anyway, that, there's a lot happening out there. And we're thrilled to have uh, Congressman Jim Banks, the Republican from Indiana, joining us. Congressman, thanks for joining us. Hey, belated uh, Merry Christmas greetings to you. Happy New Year's, uh, Jason. Great to be with you. Yes, thank you so much. You know, you and I, we didn't really get a chance. I, You know, I served in Congress eight and a half years, but I've been gone a few years. But you've come on the scene and taken the place by storm. And I've heard you talking on Fox, and you're doing a great job. You're also the, you're on the House Armed Services Committee, a ranking member there, uh, the Subcommittee on Cyber Innovative Technologies Inf- Information. But you're also running the Republican Study Committee, which for those of you that haven't been in Congress, um, this is this is a really important group. But it, conservatives who get together in the House once a week, but they also will look at more in-depth at legislation. And um, from everything I hear, Congressman Banks, Jim Banks, you've been taking that to new heights. Well, I'm very proud of what we've done in just a year. You know, Jason, I only get to do it for one term. We have a one-term term limit for chairman of the Republican Study Committee. So I'm at the halfway point. I get one one year to go. And we've really focused over the past year on charting the course for the future of the Republican Party, the future of the conservative movement. We believe that the party, the future of the Republican Party, uh, will be successful and strong if we focus on the winning agenda that is the Trump agenda. I mean, we, we firmly believe that. It's not about one man or what, any personality. It's about the agenda that Donald Trump forged for the Republican Party, that's the agenda that wins over working class voters back to the Republican Party for the first time since Ronald Reagan was president. They're still in our party today. If we stay focused on that agenda, we're going to win back the majority by a landslide in the midterm. We're going to win back the White House uh, in 2024 as well. Yeah, I think this is when when uh, Democrats try to decipher Donald Trump, they get into this um, cultish, almost, per, you know, weird uh analysis and try to decipher this that and the other what they what they fundamentally don't understand is that the success of donald trump is the policies the policies worked for america and they got caught up in sort of the theatrics and the circus-like atmosphere every once in a while they weren't used to dealing with the president who would answer their questions every single day but also get up in their grill and call them out for who they were and and that they did have a, a political agenda but at the core, Republicans can be the party of no. Republicans can say, oh, no, we don't want to do this or that. Uh, we're not the Democrats. But if they don't also explain to people why they believe what they believe and explain the policies that they believe in will better the American people's lives, it'll all be for naught. But that's what the Republican Study Committee is all about is the policies that go behind that. 
Yeah, it's it's so true. Donald Trump taught us a lot of lessons, and and he forged the path forward for this winning agenda, and taught us that that agenda is uh, is what's best for the country. But Jason, you know who taught us even more than that how great the uh, the Trump agenda uh, is for our country? Who 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 taught us even bigger lessons than that is Joe Biden, who right. did who went out of his way in one year to undo everything that Donald Trump did. I mean, Donald Trump secured the border, so Joe Biden opened it wide open. Donald Trump was the was the, the best president we, we have ever had to be tough on China. So Joe Biden is weak on China. I mean, you could go on and on through a long list of what Donald Trump did uh, to, to forge better trade deals. Joe Biden has put American workers last in the types of, uh, of, of economic policies and trade deals that Joe Biden has advocated for. So Joe, Joe Biden's disastrous first year as president taught us even more so that the Trump agenda is a winning agenda. It's an agenda that puts American workers first, and we need to get back to that. And that's what the Republican Study Committee is doing. We're introducing bills every week that return us back to that that winning agenda, that, that agenda that puts America first. And that, that's what we're going to do when we win the majority back. We've got the playbook ready to go. When we get the majority back, we're ready to go on day one uh, to put these uh, policies back into place. Now, um, I honestly don't know where the uh, RSC or the Republican Study Committee has taken a position on, but what about a balanced budget amendment? Have they taken a policy position there? Because I know Lindsey Graham, for instance, made a big deal as an op-ed up on foxnews.com about the need for a balanced budget amendment. But, you know, I'm kind of in favor of one myself. I just don't believe that we will ever balance our budgets until there's a decision by the states that, hey, yeah, the federal government, you're actually going to have to balance your budget. Yeah, we're, we're very much in favor of a balanced budget. In fact, the Republican Study Committee, as you might recall, puts out a budget proposal every single year. It's what makes us unique. We've done it for 48 years in a row, putting out the, the yeah. conservative budget. And in our conservative budget is a balanced budget amendment. I come from Indiana. I served in the state house. We have a balanced budget amendment at the state level in Indiana, and it's kept us uh, in, in good shape. And we're the, we're the fiscal envy of the Midwest uh, when it comes to uh, budget uh, res- uh, responsibility, fiscal responsibility. If we implemented a policy like that at the federal level, it would send us on a path uh, uh, to get our budget under control. And, and we, put out, we put out a budget proposal this year. Kevin Hearn, who's chairman of our budget and spending task force from the, the great state of Oklahoma, chaired this process for us, we put out a budget that balances in six years. We 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 showed our colleagues that you can do it. There, there's a path uh, to make responsible decisions to cut wasteful spending and address uh, 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 mandatory uh, spending uh, uh, as well when it comes to uh, me- Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security, and uh, and reform those programs to make them last well into the future, but also make necessary reforms there. We put a budget proposal forward, and budget it balances in six years. And we teach our colleagues that it can be done, and we'll, we'll be ready to introduce that when we get the majority back. Yeah, these are the types of things that are going to have to happen. When you spend $1.5 billion a day, as we do now, on interest on the national debt, and the interest rate is near zero, uh, we, we, we have a problem, to say the least. Um, I want to touch on some other topics here, and um, so I'm going to bounce now to, you know, I don't know what happened to the liberals that that were out there in the world, but they seem to have kind of lost their minds. Uh, And I'm looking specifically at the American Civil Liberties Union, the the ACLU. They used to be the bastion of, hey, you know, uh, we're going to we're going to take care of your civil liberties. But I 
I want to read to you and get your comment about these vaccine mandates because they have a place on their website on the ACLU. It says civil liberties and vaccine mandates. Far from compromising civil liberties, vaccine mandates actually further them. They protect the most vulnerable among us, including people with disabilities and fragile immune systems, children too young to be vaccinated, and communities of color hit hard by disease. Somehow, someway, the ACLU has contorted themselves into believing that the government forcing you to inject yourself with the vaccine is a civil liberty that is going to be enhanced by forced government action. I I don't understand where they're coming from. I had I hadn't seen that. I'm glad you brought that to my attention because everything that you just read from the ACLU is antithetical to what they tell us they believe in, right? Yeah. I mean, they they tell us they believe in in uh, in, in in privacy and and uh, on th- those issues across the board. But w- but what you just read shows that they 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 will do whatever they need to do to side with the left uh, to be a a tool of the Democrat Party. The ACLU has if they had any credibility at all before, which I, I don't know that they did, what you just read uh, on the air, Jason, shows that the ACLU should be discounted and, and forever uh, forever discredited as a, as, a, as a tool of the Democrat Party. I, obviously, that, that's absurd. Yeah, I think they have contorted themselves into being just a money raiser and going after anything Republican, anything Trump, um, even when Trump took on some of the, 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 the great causes. But for them to try to say that uh, vaccine mandates is something that's compatible. Anyway, we've kind of exhausted that. I, I want to shift now because I'm traveling around the world with uh, Congressman Jim Banks from Indiana. Uh, let's talk about the Olympics for a second. I'd love to get your take on this. Um, this It's hard for me to do it with a straight face, but uh, the Olympics start February 4th um, in Beijing. Uh, they run through February 20th. Um, and now the White House is saying that really what we should be doing is a diplomatic boycott, that somehow not sending some undersecretary of state to go watch the bobsledding is going to be enough of a pinprick to President Xi that the Chinese are going to sit up and say, oh, Please send the Undersecretary of Commerce to the Olympics, and uh, we promise we won't take a million Uyghurs and take advantage of them. And uh, how they try to equate a diplomatic boycott, I just don't get, Congressman. Well, this is what I was talking about before. I mean, we went from the toughest president on China that we've ever had to perhaps the, the I would argue already the the weakest. Uh, Donald Trump would not have sent American athletes to compete in the Olympics in Beijing. I can just tell you that he wouldn't have done it. Ronald Reagan would have kept our athletes home and not sent them to Beijing. I mean, we we've already determined, we already know that China is the greatest economic and military threat that America faces on the world stage today. Why would we appease them? by participating in Olympics that are being held in their country when every single day China does something to diminish the role of the United States of America on the world stage or does something to harm or affect American workers, the American people, not to mention the human rights abuses in their own country. I mean, I remember, Jason, as a kid growing up, the Democrat Party was always the party, at least they told us so, they were the party of human rights, right? I mean, that's what they always used to say. 
But in this case, they, they've proven once again they do not care at all about human rights. I mean, I, we, just pa- we just struggle to pass a bill. The Democrats oppose every step of the way uh, on, this, on the Uyghur slave subject in China. And instead of Joe Biden going out and holding a public signing ceremony of this important bill to shine a light on the human rights abuses of the Uyghur Muslims in China, he did it in private. He privately signed the bill because he didn't want to irritate uh, China. And here, here's another case, a, a dip, a whatever, whatever this means, a diplomatic uh, protest uh, of the Olympics. It doesn't mean anything at all. It means that we're going to participate in it and, and we're going to bend over backwards to appease China rather than hold, holding them accountable for who they are and what they do. It's, it's sickening to me, but it proves once again that Joe Biden uh, is the weakest president we've ever had on China. Yeah, it, it really is amazing that Republicans can push an issue that actually gets through the House and the Senate, goes to the signature of the President of the United States, calling out the, the slave labor type, type conditions in certain parts of China, and that the President wouldn't do so publicly. I mean, that 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 alone, I think, just kind of shows where they're coming from and what they're doing. And when he has the hours-long conversation with President Xi, doesn't bring any of these issues up anything that's too touchy or too difficult for president g uh to to deal with um it's like they pre-negotiated hey we won't say anything bad about you um so if you please do this zoom call with us that would be really nice hardly leadership from the united states of america i think you're i think you're absolutely right um well, it's not like there are that many bills that are passing out of Congress. Everybody's paying attention. You, you see that this Congress right. is a is a completely incompetent and incapable Congress. They, they don't pass hardly anything. So it's not like Biden has all these bills that he has to sign. He doesn't have any time to hold public bill signing ceremonies. I mean, he could have done that and and uh, champion this cause, but he was a, he's afraid of China. He is he is weak on China, and he dare not do anything to draw attention to anything that America might do to hold China accountable. So he did, so he signed the bill in private rather than doing it publicly. Amazing, amazing. We've been talking with Congressman Jim Banks, a Republican from Indiana, uh, one of the rising stars in the Republican Party. And, uh, Congressman, we thank you for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show today. Hey, Happy New Year. Thank happy you. New Year. Happy New Year. We'll be back with more of the Brian Kilmeade Show right after this. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to the one with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of the Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. Fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So the, I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian. I was on uh, Fox News Sunday yesterday and and uh, was asked a questions. I think Mike Emanuel, by the way, at Fox News Sunday did a, a great, fabulous uh, job. He's, he's just a really good person, uh, smart, inquisitive, and did a great job uh, uh, hosting uh, Fox News Sunday. But they asked us a couple of questions there, and I wanted to kind of give a little fuller uh, response in the few minutes we have before the next commercial break. Uh, one of the questions was, what were the most undercovered stories? Um, and I, I, I've got three I'd like to try to get through here in the next two minutes. 
Uh, one is obviously immigration. I think other than Fox News, I'm not aware of anybody who's really seriously taking this story. It's become so commonplace that we break new records, record number of people coming across, deaths, rapes, fentanyl, drugs, human trafficking. You would think that the national media would be reporting this on a regular basis, but they don't. And it just goes to the heart of the political agenda that I think so many of these national news outlets have. They rarely, if ever, will talk about this major surge at the border, the lack of mask or vaccine mandates, the double standard that they have, and the record number of people that are flowing by the literally the hundreds of thousands, and then they're being dispersed into other parts of the country. It, to me, is one of the most undercovered stories that there possibly can be. Uh, voting and voting scandals, I think, are also one of the things that need to be covered. If you look at what the, the Democrats are foreshadowing, they're moving a little bit away from Build Back Better, and now they're talking about voting, 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 and voting rights and trying to couch it as something that's unavoidably needs to change and be federalized. That is an underreported uh, story. They're going to do anything they can to change the rules because under the current rules, they can't win. And the last thing I think are scandal. You just had the United States Secret Service tell us uh, last week that they believe there are some $100 billion that has been stolen, moved overseas, $100 billion with all of these payments out for COVID and that sort of thing. If the Democrats want trillions of dollars more to hand out, why should the American people, why should Congress entrust them with that when they lose $100 billion? You shouldn't trust them with more money. Well, that's my take on the scandals and undercovered stories. I'm Jason Chaffetz, in for Brian Kilmeade. We'll be back with more. Stay with us. The new from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, this is Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian Kilmeade. Um, I used to be in the the United States House of Representatives. I'm now a Fox News contributor. I've got a Fox podcast. It's called Jason in the House. Anybody, uh, you can find it anywhere. Just go to pod, wherever you listen to a podcast. Type in Jason in the House. Just Jason in the House. You should be able to spell that one. Um, also, tonight on Fox News, I'll be uh, on the 5. Looking forward to that. It's on at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. As well as uh, I'll be guest hosting for Laura Ingram. Um uh, on the Ingram Angle uh, tonight at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, this is a great time to fill in for people. It gives me a good opportunity. appreciate Fox uh, entrusting me with their many products. And when the uh, main people go and take uh, a little time off, it gives me an opportunity. So thanks for bearing with me. I hope you, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, we've been having a great show, and I really do enjoy the team here at, uh, at Fox News and the radio and what we're doing. Um, but I'm also glad to have joining us on the phone now, one of the former colleagues from Congress, uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin out of New York. He's a, uh, uh, just a wonderful, wonderful guy. He's got a beautiful family and, uh, he's also running to be the next governor of the good state of New York. And, uh, he's joining us on the line. Congressman Zeldin, thanks for joining us. 
Uh, it's great to be with you. I hope you and the family had a good Christmas. We did. We did. We're looking forward to a good new year. And, um, you know, as I like to say, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And so there's plenty of, to talk about. Um, but I am excited about 2022, um, 2021, now that it's almost fully in the books. There's a lot of weird stuff going on. I, I was just watching a live picture here of uh, uh, President Biden having this COVID-19 briefing with all these Zoom calls and people on Zoom. And, of course, the president's not wearing a mask, but he's wiping his nose with his fingers. And uh, it's such a great, great message, great imagery coming out of the White House and their fake set uh, that they put up there to make it look like there's some, you know, it's just a, literally a set there in the West uh, the, uh, at the White House. But, um, Congressman, this, I think probably what's bugging me as much as anything is the inconsistency of their approach. But the idea that, uh, whoops, I forgot to order more test kits. I mean, that is literally what it's coming down to. I want you to listen to Dr. Fauci, and then we want to get your take on how this administration is doing with testing on COVID. Cut one. The situation where you have such a high demand, a conflation of events, Omicron stirring people to get appropriately concerned and wanting to get tested, as well as the fact of the run on tests during the holiday season. We've obviously got to do better. I mean, I think things will improve greatly as we get into January, but that doesn't help us today and tomorrow. So you're right. That is something that is of concern. That was uh, Dr. Fauci on ABC News. Congressman, what's your take on where we're at? They should have seen this coming. I mean, they, they did see it coming. This is something that South Africa warned the entire world about over a month ago. Uh, the initial indications, which seem to be bearing fruit as far as the science here in the United States, is that it was going to be contagious and the reaction was going to be milder. This was something that was a topic of conversation at the White House press briefing room. Uh, this was something that the United States government was talking about having travel bans imposed against South Africa. This was all a conversation that was taking place weeks ago. So what should happen then is the conclusion drawn, obviously, that you have this highly contagious variant that's heading to the United States if it wasn't you know, there yet. You don't know exactly when the first case was going to arrive. Um, you, you would want to ramp up this ability. This is something that uh, we were talking about almost two years ago, how to ramp up testing all across the country. And it was a great innovation when we were able to, to test and that we were able to distribute the tests. But we're talking about the spring of 2020. So they should have seen it coming. This isn't some hindsight 2020. They were even talking about this over a month back. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that this was a failure that is right now, while people are trying to travel for the holiday season, they uh, are experiencing symptoms that in many cases are not anywhere near as severe as some of the earlier variants. But fortunately, there are people who still want to get tested, even though they might just you know, be having some basic flu-like, cold-like symptoms. They want to get checked out. But then the deterrent is that they have to go wait on the line for three and a half days, or they call up CVS or Walgreens, and they find out that they can't get 
uh, tested today or tomorrow. They might have to wait three or four days or more. Uh, so the inconvenience of the testing is making this far worse. Uh, and this is something that really is a failure at the at the highest level. And I think it actually makes the, the spread worse because there's a whole lot of people just don't want to get tested. Yeah, you know, if if you're going to be intellectually consistent, for those that were critical of Donald Trump early on, I mean, this is early on in the process. It's like, oh, well, we need everybody to get tested. If you were critical of Donald Trump back then, you certainly have to be critical of Donald of uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris at this point. Because, I mean, literally the president of the United States said, oh, I, I wish we had seen that there might be variants. Everybody knew that there were going to be variants and that you, they might have to do testing. It's just unbelievable to me. Congressman, I saw a photo last week. It was of some young children. I think it was a week or maybe it was two weeks ago. Uh, young children in New York City. The temperature was about 32 degrees. They were outside having to eat their meals on the ground. I can only imagine how cold that cement was and not be able to sit next to their friends because that was the protocol in New York City in order to deal with children and meals when it was an exceptionally cold day in the city. So the governor imposes this statewide mask mandate. The uh, response that we saw from local school districts that had previously made changes to try to accommodate uh, the, the students who have to spend an entire day in mask. They created mask breaks. There were mask break rooms, mask break times. And school districts were sending out notices to parents and saying, hey, listen, under this new statewide mask mandate, we have to get rid of our mask breaks. And this, this is already a, a, an issue before the statewide mask mandate. Uh, and this is something that kids have been stuck in masks in New York State as early as two years old. It's been going on since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, I would love to see Governor Hochul try to get through an entire day without a mask break. Uh, you know, just having to wear her mask nonstop from 7 a.m. to right. you know, let's say let's say 3 p.m. Um, so what's happening is that you know some schools are they're trying to figure out how to give kids breaks and and the the fact that you're you know doing a lunch, a snack, whatever it is, it's outside. The temperatures now. In, in the 30s, and, you know, kids are, are, are eating outside in the in cement, um, you know, it's something that shouldn't be necessary for that school district. They should just have the kids, you know, in school, being normal, being able to have, you know, th that developmental, mental, emotional, physical progress and that normalcy that they need in their life, and they're being denied it, and instead here they are, Weather's getting colder. It's now Christmas, and they're forced to, you know, have snack time when it's you know 32 degrees outside. Right, right. That's just unbelievable. Well, one thing that hasn't cooled down uh, is the violence. Uh, certainly, there in New York, other major cities. Some of the headlines coming out of this that you know, 12 cities have set murder records. Uh, there were 19 people shot in Chicago over the weekend. I mean, the the policies, what would you do differently if you were governor? Because obviously what's going on with the, the worst mayor I think we've ever, ever seen in Mayor de Blasio um, and the Democratic policies. I mean, you look at the crime rates, there seems to be a common denominator. 
they're states and cities run by Democrats. I, I just what would you do differently if you were the governor of New York? Support law enforcement more, not less. Repeal cashless bail, which is on the books here in New York. Uh, that's led to uh, rising crime. They're releasing criminals early, many. Uh, there's uh, issues with the alignment of the parole board. That has to change. People who are cop killers are getting released from prison left and, and right. Uh, they're attacking qualified immunity. I want law enforcement to be able to do their job uh, well without having to worry about being sued. Uh, I also, you know, there's a debate here in New York as to whether or not law enforcement should be allowed to respond to 911 calls. Should they be replaced instead with a social worker when that domestic violence call comes in. So we have to certainly win that debate. We need to have a law enforcement bill of rights enacted in New York state, recognize their inherent right of self-defense, make sure that they have all the tools and resources they need to do their job safely and effectively, make sure they're not unfairly targeted by investigations. Somebody does something wrong, doesn't matter the occupation. There's a process and that there are people who uh, may need to get punished for, for their wrongdoing. But don't try to vilify the other 100% of that department and all men and women in law enforcement as if they all did something wrong. And also uh, am sensitive to the fact that sometimes people are accused of wrongdoing and they did nothing wrong. Uh, so th these are all just some of the ideas, but the, my first point I'll make it also my last point. We need to support law enforcement more, not less. It sounds simple. It's something we should all agree upon. But unfortunately, for those who are in charge right now in Albany, that's not the case. They're supporting them less. They just closed six more prisons in New York State, and they're not doing it because of naturally setting a prison population based off of whether or not people committed a crime, you then investigate, you prosecute, and people owe a debt to society. Instead, it's based on political calculation. And, and in uh, closing down the prisons, uh, Governor Hochul was saying, well, maybe we should focus more on drug treatment. Well, yeah, one of the six prisons you closed was the only drug state-run drug treatment program <laughs> in the state. So, uh, you know, oh there, there's gosh. so much wrong with this leadership. Uh, that's truly amazing. I, I think there are some innovative things you can do for the nonviolent criminals. But the idea that you are a violent criminal or you've committed a crime that includes a degree of violence, I mean, how many times do we have to hear a story about that person going back out and committing another crime? I think the the metric that should be involved and engaged in any criminal justice reform, and there is some good criminal justice reform that needs to happen, but it ought to be looking at the rates of recidivism, not the how quickly can we get them back out onto the street. How many cases can we as prosecutors not prosecute? So as you look at that, I, I mean, I totally agree with you. I think that taking care of law enforcement, knowing that the community and that their political leaders have their back is core to a successful policing program. But you also need prosecutors that will actually go out and prosecute things. What what can you do as governor to push forward? Because so many of these prosecutors are at the you know city and county level. What can you do, though, to actually prosecute those that need to be prosecuted? For one, I think that uh, district attorneys refusing to prosecute the crimes that are on the books 
uh, need to be replaced. They shouldn't be there in that position. They are elected to be the prosecutor for that county. And if they believe that there's a crime on the books that shouldn't be on the book, well, then bring your case to your state capitol, make your argument, and try to change the law. But but people are winning these uh, Democratic Party primaries right now for district attorney positions all across the country where in their Democratic primary, they are promising not to enforce certain laws across the books, and, and that's wrong. You, you're talking about uh, as well the, the people who uh, are committing offenses and they're being released and they, and they shouldn't have – and we should be looking at recidivism and the type of fence. I agree with all that. I believe that uh, judges should have discretion to look at the dangerousness of the person they're prosecuting, their past record, whether or not they are a flight risk. Unfortunately, we're putting handcuffs on judges, on law enforcement, instead of putting handcuffs on criminals. The streets, if you're walking in New York City, there are you know, areas of the city where it feels like the streets have been turned over to the criminals instead of the other way around. They just opened up uh, sites for injection of drugs. And you know, this is something that the, the city actually you know, uh, passed a, a, you know, a, a proposal into effect where these sites can allow people to go be supervised – uh, by folks who can reverse their overdose. And, and I think that's something that can actually incentivize people to push further with their drug use because there's someone there who, you know, can yeah. re- reverse uh, an, a potential overdose. So all of these different um, proposals on, on many different fronts, they all add up. And collectively what happens is uh, the criminals get emboldened. They commit more crime. They're str- the streets, they feel like they're, are, are, that they're the ones in charge of. You see it on the subways and elsewhere, but it's not that hard to turn around. It's about leadership at the top, having the back of law enforcement, the training, the support, supporting law-abiding citizens. They are your constituency, not the criminals. Yeah, it's amazing. I've never seen a ma- major party take, take such a U-turn and also be so anti-law enforcement and be successful. So it's something we'll have to continue to watch. But, uh, Congressman, to you and your family, I hope you have a wonderful and happy new year. We've been thrilled to have Congressman Lee Zeldin from New York on the line, candidate for governor there in the great state of New York. Uh, Thanks for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Always happy new year to you and the family. Happy new year. All right. We'll be back with more right after this. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, this is Jason Chaffetz. I've been filling in for Brian Kilmeade, which is an honor and a privilege. I appreciate it. Brian's one of the hardest working people in television and radio, and uh, he's been uh, very kind to allow me to sit in for him. I hope he's having a good, wonderful holiday. I hope you have as well. I hope you've had a good Merry Christmas or Happy Hanukkah or whatever it might have been this uh this season, but certainly all of us a happy new year that 2022 might bring on even better and bigger things for everybody that everybody stay healthy. And I think we should also take time this, uh, this time of year to thank uh, the first responders who they don't necessarily get to be home on Christmas Eve or Christmas day or, or new year's Eve or new year's day. The first responders that are out there, they're working in the, uh, the highway patrol. They're working on the local law enforcement. They're, 
dispatchers. They are working at the hospitals and in the ambulances and the fire department. And, and I also want to thank the, the people that are serving us overseas, uh, not only the Foreign Service officers who are serving their country, but certainly the United States military. I think one of the greatest privileges I had was in Congress was to be on Thanksgiving out of, on the San Jacinto, which is uh, um, in the Eisenhower Carrier Group off the coast of Iran, uh, and serve those troops a meal on Thanksgiving. There are a lot of people who are away from their families this holiday season serving the country, serving the United States of America. I'm sure they're a bit lonely. They shed a little tear and they miss their loved ones, their family, their friends. But they're out there serving the United States of America. I hope we all give pause and reach out to them and thank them and know how much we love and care for them as a nation because they do make us the greatest country on the face of the planet. I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian Kildney. Thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed it. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.